0: Welcome to the first episode of the Peace at Home podcast. I'm Sinan.
1: I'm there. Um, Jamie. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that went well. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> I probably should have told you what I was doing. Um, anyway, that's the start now. That's officially the start. We're leaving that in. That's it. That's how we started. Grand. Um, yeah. We've kicked off, as we mean to continue, a total fucking mess. So we should probably explain what the point of this podcast is. I have been driven insane by Britain because I have to live here, which is a shame for everyone. Yeah, it's a shame for everyone involved, really, that I have to live here and be driven insane by it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my revenge and drive two British people insane by explaining the other, the country that I think is exactly the same as Britain, but somehow turned up to 11, Turkey to them. So we're going to go approximately chronologically, but probably jump around a little bit based on whatever I find kind of funny at the time. That's that's our episode structure, what I find funny. That's how we're doing it. And we're going to begin with the independence war in Turkey. And the point is that by the time we wrap this up, because this is time limited, at least in theory, we should be wrapping up around the time of the 2023 Turkish election, which is happening on the centenary of the Turkish Republic existing. And I'll probably do some kind of stream on Twitch where I laugh at whatever the result is. Because frankly, cool. it's it's going to be really nuts, whatever the result is. This this this is a country that goes insane. Like it, it's at ten a lot of the time, but at around twenty threes in the century, it just goes up to eleven. So <laughs> you've seen this podcast.
2: You've seen this podcast has been a hundred years in the making. Is that it?
0: Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, well, I guess like a hundred and three years, really, or a hundred and four years, because we're kind of going to have to start in nineteen nineteen for this. Actually, probably 1918, because we're going to have to start with like the aftermath of World War One, because everyone knows what happened with the Treaty of Versailles.
2: Oh yeah, it ushered it in a famously
1: stable era in world politics, if I remember.
0: That's right. I really mean you, a country works.
1: You say everyone knows that, but like, I, I know fucking nothing about. Literally, all, all I did in history at school was two world wars and one World Cup. So <laughs> like, the, the the interwar period was just not covered. Do you know what I man.
0: Yeah. Well, considering that the Second War happened because of what happened in the interwar period, you can have a pretty good guess. Yeah. as to how effective everything was. Oh yeah. Very, very
2: effective. Yeah. Um Yeah. As we can see.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they did the same thing to the Ottoman Empire. Or the plan was to do the same thing to the Ottoman Empire. So, the Ottoman Empire surrenders alongside the other central powers and they sign an armistice and then the governing party at the time is purged basically. I don't know how else to put it. We were opening with a purge, which is always a good sign. Nice.
2: Yeah, I'm always in favour of that. It uh, just kind of clear, clears the board, ready to just get playing the game, yeah? Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. And the party that had the purge was, uh, they're sometimes called the Young Turks. So, Jenk Uyghur's been around for a long time. Uh, doing all sorts of things some of which were not good i don't he wasn't actually doing it i hope that's clear (laughs) (laughs) otherwise we're gonna get in trouble
2: (laughs) he's looking well for his age i gotta say
0: yeah i know for a man who was the grand vizier from 1910 to 1918 he's looking good (laughs) you know I, i i admire someone who has that kind of skin routine but there's a purge and because if you're the losing side in a war you have to purge your government that is that's just that's the rules i'm sorry everyone you just you have to purge them yeah they actually do have a political party which is the committee of union and progress or the union and progress party depending on how you want to how you want to call it and i can read the ottoman turkish for everyone if they want but i really don't want to <laughs> Um, because it's like it's it's quite literally a foreign language to me. Because it's so strange.
2: Like, I'm, I'm always reassured by governments that are about unity, progress, respect, security, uh, respect, uh, justice, yeah. stability, yeah. What, progress.
0: What about what about political parties that have paramilitary wings called the Special Organization? Ah,
2: oh. Always yeah. mm, always in favor of a good paramilitary wing.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's uh it's not great. Um <laughs> <laughs> also I'm looking at their ideologies real quickly and it's yeah, so secularism, alright, well you know that's a whole thing in Turkey. Progressivism. Okay. J- easing into it. Uh Pan-Turkism. Cool. We're in big trouble now. We're in Turkish YouTube map zone. pan-Islamism Turkish nationalism authoritarianism and basically like having a nationalised economy so you know
2: that's a good mix I suppose yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. if if you like you can think of it as like the empire from Star Wars but much less competent it's it's a kind of a
2: a big tent party but the big tent is the one that Gaddafi stayed in when he was in New York
0: yeah that's exactly right But yeah, these guys were were massive losers, and they had to. They basically a bunch of them had to run away because they were such big losers, and people were so pissed at them that a bunch of them basically had to be exiled or were arrested by the British for doing genocide. Which is the one time the British ever like opposed genocide, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, thing.
1: you can't go around stealing British thunder like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the main thing they were angry at in Britain, but. Yeah, so the Independence War kind of kicks off under the shadow of all of this stuff going on, where the Ottoman army basically doesn't exist. Like, it doesn't exist anymore. It's just a bunch of dipshits with rifles standing around waiting to be sent home. Like, they're just just—they're just kids waiting for their mum to pick them up after school.
2: Is that not just <laughs> the Ottoman army in most situations, to be fair?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, there was the time an Ottoman army won a war... Oh, sorry, won a battle by not showing up. Because the Russians had simply attacked themselves in the Caucasus front.
2: That's praxis. I I like that. Just like going on strike, sort of. Yeah, they (laughs) they
0: just they just sort of didn't know where to go because you can't see anything in the winter in the Caucasus, and there were lots of battles like that where just people were attacking their own troops, which is great fun. But there are so I guess my job is to try and explain what actually happened instead of what people think happened. Because, as you will see with Turkey, there are usually two versions of something: which is the what actually happened version, and then the nationalist propaganda version. Yeah, I shared that clip with you all of that TV uh, show. I mean, I
1: mean uh, so far, so very British on that front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: we're not so. It turns out we're not so different after all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> the TV show "Cruelty," which is all right, I showed you both the clip. Yeah. What year do you think that TV show was made?
1: I'm gonna say 2016.
0: I,
2: I, I think it's got strong end of history energy. Sometime in the mid 90s, 1996
0: or something. That's a really good guess. It was 1994. Whoa! I am as old as that TV show, which is insane. Ah, uh, I, hate, I
2: hate when people drop bombshells like that on me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because you're old. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Extra bits
2: of grey appearing in my beard. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I, I found the grey hair in my beard today, and I was like, "Well, fuck, that's <laughs> happening. We'll have to, we'll have to move on."
2: Swav Sinan entering his silver vault era
0: yeah we can't, well um, if my hair goes white, it's gonna look really ridiculous, so I need to like i need to get buff for it really, so I could put off 'cause i did I did spray my hair I did spray dye my hair white at one point rather famously, you just need to get an orbital
2: <laughs> under and just complete the yes list. Yeah.
0: i am I'm not even kidding when my next paycheck comes in, I am considering buying an orb. And my, and my partner's like please do not buy an orb please don't buy an orb i'm like well i'm going to buy one so well what are
1: you what are you supposed to ponder otherwise exactly like what yeah. am i
0: doing what am i doing all day well, okay i'm going to have to cut that bit out <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no way i can leave that in and get away with it um, just just dub
1: uh, just dub studiously working over the top of it and there you go
0: yeah i'm going to record that later <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so we have so so the independence war hasn't started yet, but what has started at this point in around 1919 is basically a bunch of people being really pissed off and just pick, finding whatever weapons they can and beating the shit out of Greek and British soldiers. Which you know, it's a it's a strategy.
1: Yeah, the cool zone.
0: <laughs> yeah, the cool zone. I mean, the Ottoman Empire was a country that was effectively entering the cool zone over a 200 year period. It was the slowest entrance to the cool zone any country's done. Russia has overtaken it at this point, because it's got the Bolsheviks in.
2: Oh, just upstaging them every turn.
0: Yeah, well, to be fair, the Bolsheviks are going to be relevant to this. Um, the because, Ottoman Empire
1: uh, doing an any percent slow run.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They're basically that YouTube channel that does like 175 hour long lasagnas. Except it's the, it's the chicken dessert,
2: though.
0: Oh my god, that's 175-hour chicken dessert. No, please. I, I have to eat that at some point again on stream because people refuse to believe it was real. <laughs> but I still get tagged in stuff whenever that chicken dessert is brought where people are like, explain yourself. And I'm like, I don't like it either. Why am I responsible for this shit?
2: Just eat it, <laughs> eat it with some kind of LA Beast Stealth food bomb. You'll be fine.
0: Just get some sort of chicken dessert pump and fire in his <laughs> mouth.
1: Just a t-shirt gun.
0: <laughs> oh yes. I definitely want to buy a t-shirt gun, but for unrelated reasons.
1: To fire your orb out
0: of. Nottingham Castle and knock it down. <laughs> but yeah, so the war independence war. The independence war is kinda of beginning to sort of amp up in nineteen nineteen. There are basically a bunch of generals in Anatolia. Who are in charge of these armies standing around waiting to be sent home? Because they yeah. lost the war. They're, they don't have anything really to fucking do. And this is where we meet kind of the most important character. Just a ton of guys
1: time. standing around armed, like Mum, come and pick me up. The, the Empire's collapsed.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, you say th- I mean like that was genuinely people were genuinely confused because they're like, it's called the the slogan of the Empire was the eternal state. What's yeah. going on? Suddenly it's not so eternal. <laughs> like it was, it was heartbreaking for him. And to be fair, a lot, of t- a lot of the soldiers who were sent were like 16, 17. So they are quite literally kids waiting for their mum to pick them up. Because oh. all, all the other fuckers got killed early on in the war. at Gallipoli and shit like that. Which is relevant because we have the main character. Really the main character of Turkey. If there was a main character for the country, it would be this guy. At the time known as Mustafa Kemal. Just Mustafa Kemal. There was no honorific surname given to him at this time. He was sent by the Grand Vizier to be the inspector of the Sixth Army. And the Sixth Army is basically all of the remaining soldiers. So he's been sent to be put in charge of all of the remaining soldiers. And the person who sends him is the leader of the Freedom and Accord Party, who's also the Grand Vizier. And this party was also known as the Liberal Entente.
1: Oh.
0: If you want a feel for how oh. terrible they are. Also, notably, the party of Ali Kamal Bey, the great grandfather of Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh no, I mean,
0: yeah. That just
2: that was like a a series of sentences that just got worse as they went on. Like the name of the party, <laughs> bad enough. The liberal enton, mm, not giving the best energy. Boris Johnson's grandfather,
0: great grandfather, great grandfather. Hmm. <laughs> it's actually even worse <laughs> <laughs> oh he'll be relevant later we'll be We'll be talking about whether something was good or bad in a bit. oh
1: foreshadowing,
0: yeah, but Mustafa kamal is like is basically at this point he's the most famous general in the country because he's the only one who has an unblemished record. He's won essentially every battle he's commanded, at least that's the reputation, and he's kind of like a minor political figure. Kind of on the edge of the f- previous governing party, but he was—he just sort of beefed with that party's central committee a bunch. Mostly because they wanted to do, like, you know, Turkish YouTube maps, <laughs> instead of, like, just Turkey.
2: You say that the foundational, like, nationalist figure of modern Turkey was against Turkish ultranationalism? Wild.
0: Yes, Yeah, well his whole premise was, and this was something he pushed a lot early in his career, was the empire is simply too big and people in it don't want to be in it anymore. So why don't we simply retreat to natural borders and actually have a defendable you know, state?
1: He sounds, he sounds far too sensible for history, quite frankly. Mm, yeah.
2: The only thing that kind of sticks out to me there is natural borders, which is a bit yes. of a loaded
1: phrase.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's whole thing. And in fact, Tur- Turkey up... isn't Turkey isn't
1: an island, is it?
0: No, it's a peninsula, a normal peninsula <laughs> with another peninsula attached to it, basically. Well, it's got uh, some
1: natural borders then.
0: <laughs> yeah, it has. It had some thoughts about those borders at the time. Let's just put it that way. But yeah, he was publicly opposed to the peace treaty, like doing any kind of deals, basically. He he basically thought that like any deal that divvied up the territory without consulting the people in that territory was unacceptable. Wow. So, uh, endless, endless referendums, basically.
2: Ah, interesting. So not a big fan of um, you know, the, the British way of doing things, which is just to draw various straight lines on the map and leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. well the
0: British were drawing various straight lines. Famously. Kind of <laughs> Yeah, that was the main issue (laughs) at play here, was that the British came in and drew a bunch of lines. And also the Italians, who possibly did the most Italian thing possible during the Independence War. They just kind of stood around and waited for their mum to pick them up and change sides halfway (laughs) through.
1: And here I thought the most Italian thing possible was to get really angry about food on Twitter.
0: That's probably why they abandoned Anatolia. They were like, there's too much seasoning here! Come on! (laughs) They're overdoing the pasta. It's just it's not happening. They
2: turned up, saw the chicken dessert, and went home.
0: Yeah. It was just like, <laughs> nope. You're boiling that chicken for how long? We will. You're boiling it.
2: If this is what they do to chickens, imagine what they'll do to us. We're going home.
0: <laughs> yeah. But people always like frame the Independence War as like this big thing where it was just this military conflict. And, you know, everyone's sort of just sort of, it's this, you know, life or death, death, final battle, you know, great patriotic war stuff. But there were, like, a lot of demonstrations. It turns out Turkish people were not happy about having British people in their country. They were also very unhappy about having Greek people in their country. But that was, that was unrelated to the Brit issue. I
1: can, I, can, I can understand the first one, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very unhappy about having British people in my country. Yeah, same. Well, they, they,
0: were, they were unhappy because the, Br- the Brits had basically gone, well, the west of Turkey, that can be Greece. And I'm sure that'll be fucking fine.
1: That, that sounds like something we do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And people, so like, there's sort of the nationalist myth-making of it, which is that the start of the Independence War was when the Greeks landed in uh, Izmir now. It was called Smyrna in Greek. And some random Turkish dude showed up and just shot the Greek flag bearer who st- first set foot on the country in the head. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the national myth of how the war started. I mean, that's, just...
1: that's metal as fuck. Like. <laughs> yeah, to be honest.
0: The thing is, I'm not entirely convinced it's true. Oh, that's, that's, the a only shame. Thing. that's a shame. I like
2: the, the sort of nationalist myth-making that is essentially just turning everything into a Sabaton song.
0: Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> the Sabaton album. You could get an album out of this war. There's no, there's no shortage of like insanity that's going to go on. But the Ottoman Empire has, still has a parliament, right? And it was a it was a constitutional-ish monarchy, so it still had a parliament. And Mustafa Kamal decides, well, uh, there are all of these local associations called the Committee of Rights, which are just which eventually becomes this national organization. So he's like, why don't we just sponsor a bunch of candidates to run for parliament on a platform of telling the Brits to go fuck themselves and see how we do? Turns out they want a landslide. <laughs> <laughs> they basically want every single seat in the parliament. And wiped out the uh, what was it? The Freedom and Accord Party, the Liberal Entente got fucking owned really badly. But <laughs> the- <laughs> who could have foreseen? <laughs> who could have seen this coming? And yeah, they got they got fucked basically. Every other opposition party got fucked, and they passed this law. That that so the way it worked was the Brits were occupying Istanbul at the time. And they were keeping a very close eye on this parliament because they're like, what are they going to do? This is basically they've elected a parliament to tell us to go fuck themselves. But also the parliament doesn't have any real power because the emperor can do what he likes because we're enforcing what he wants us to enforce. And what they do is they pass something called the National Pact or Misaka Mili, which is uh, which just means National Pact. But it's. It is basically the natural borders of Turkey codified in law. What I'll do is I'll share a picture really quickly. Those are the borders. All right. Yeah, so for people who can't, well, the listeners can't see it, but it's uh, basically mostly modern Turkey, northern Iraq, a lot of Syria, a lot of the Syrian coast, a bit of Greece, and like a bit of Georgia extra, and Cyprus, and all of the islands in the Aegean Sea.
2: Um, famously, you know, uncontested regions in the 20th century. Yeah. yeah.
0: They even admit that, like, oh no, there are Arab majorities in a lot of these places. We're going to give them a referendum on whether to stay with us or not. And my guess is they would have been told to fuck off. But, obviously, this doesn't get enforced by anyone, because, uh, you know, like, who's enforcing it? All it did was piss off the Brits. Which is good. You should piss yeah. off the Brits. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a
1: noble aim in and of itself.
0: But yeah, the Brits got super mad and uh, dissolved the Parliament, or got the Emperor to dissolve the Parliament. It's kind, of, it's kind of confusing as to how the mechanisms of it worked, given it was a constitutional monarchy and probably shouldn't have been able to dissolve the entire Parliament.
2: I'm guessing, though, that that was the end of that, and the whole situation was resolved without any further like, problems.
0: Yeah, it was completely fine, except...
1: Yeah, fam- famously, when the when the British put a stop to something, it, that that's the end of it, you know what I mean? It's, uh...
0: <laughs> yeah, especially when you
2: just dissolve a parliament. I mean, once, once you dissolve a parliament, people just go home then. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: But what if they met in a different city? Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the Brits didn't think of that, did they? One weird trick. <laughs> <laughs> One weird trick. And so... On April 23rd, 1920, we have the first meeting of the Grand National Assembly, which is the current Parliament of Turkey. I thought they were just going to have a,
2: a horse race or something, but no.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it was basically just like a a stop for people to water their horses, and now it's the national capital. But basically, because the Brits dissolved the, the, the original government, they're like, well, we're the government now, and you're going to be dealing with us from now on, not the emperor, which upset some people, particularly the Brits, because huh. they, did, they did not want to deal with people who thought that the Brits should fuck off.
2: It doesn't usually discourage them that much, though.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah you, you wouldn't think so. You'd think the Brits... You know, I, I know a lot of British people, and they try really hard at every If that group. was
1: a deal breaker, there'd be a, like a, a lot of, a lot more going home in British
0: <laughs> <history>. <laughs> Yeah, and God, how much better would things yeah. have been if the Brits were just like, you know what, yeah, the Irish, they don't want us here, let's go home. Oh, yeah. problem solved. So many problems would be solved by Brits simply fucking off.
1: Boys with the time machine just going back to ancient Britain and explaining the concept of being unwelcome to them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just imagine how much easier closing times at pubs would be. Oh, oh my yeah. God.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyway. Uh, to be fair, I'm, I'm, I've been troublesome at a closing time in a pub before.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so sort have of we all...
0: Look, after the 12th or 13th pint, are you really the same person? It's like thesis to ship, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> after how many pints are you the same person? Someone tell me that.
2: As a, each pint replaces a plank in the hull.
0: That's it. But yeah, so what do you think, like, the main challenge would be if you're a nationalist government who's got basically an army armed with, like, sticks and uh, have just told the Brits to fuck off?
2: I would I would find the nearest post office and maybe, like, nail a proclamation to the door.
0: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it turned out their main problem was that the Ottoman Emperor could order other generals to arrest people. And so that's kind of what he did. He got one of these other important figures in the independence war, Kazim Karabekir, as he would be known. He said to him, he's basically commanding the armies that are left in the east of Anatolia that were sort of fighting the Russians, but obviously after the Treaty the Russians signed, they were just kind of freezing to death there. (laughs) And he was ordered specifically to surrender to the Entente, and he was like, "Uh, I'm not going to do that. I've got an army with guns. And he was... He was kind of ordered to arrest uh, Mustafa Kemal, but he just because he'd already, you know, been, he'd already basically said, <laughs> "I'm not surrendering to these fuckers." He basically immediately did not do that. Joined his side and became one of the most important generals.
1: I very, I very, I very much like the idea of uh, getting a proclamation from the emperor and just going, "Yeah, come down here and make me." Yeah.
0: <laughs> He started actually arming the rural population as well. He was like, you know what? I've got a bunch of weapons left over from the war. uh <laughs> Hey, people in the people in rural eastern Turkey, how would you like a gun? And it turns out they liked them quite a lot. Uh, yeah, didn't like this a gun? Day
2: in many cases, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, well. Yeah, we're going to be hearing about the beef between villagers in northeastern Turkey and bears. Oh. A long-running beef. Eventually, we'll get to that. I was promise.
1: that was that bears as in, like, the animal or bears from Happy Mondays?
0: The animal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they even had, like, a, I'll do a little sidetrack, which is there was even a BBC segment about it. And basically, one of the segments was a, a BBC journalist was like, oh, what's that you've got in his hand? And the was like, my pump-action shotgun. And that's that's pretty much the summary of it. The other bit was, do you know how they solved the problem of bears stealing their honey?
1: Hmm. That
0: is... That is literally what the problem in the game was. The bears came and stole their honey. Good God. I think and they they really their picnic killed baskets too. That is... And
2: that is some Winnie the Pooh shit. Are these yeah. are these bears smarter than average, are they?
0: Yeah, they are. And they had to get a bear patrol in, and it was a five-lire tax. It was outrageous. People were very mad about it. Is is this
2: but... one of these, like... Like unending people's wars that happened in eastern Turkey quite a lot, but just with bears switched for maoists,
0: yeah, the bears are actually the Maoist comrades in this case. <laughs> no, the bears are not doing it on purpose, I don't think. I think they just see honey and go, "Yes, I would like some of that." But the solution to the problem was to simply put the honey out of the reach of the bears. That was it. They didn't have to shoot any of the bears) <laughs> Makes sense. It took it took like a government minister coming in and saying, why don't you just lift the honeycomb, the, you know, the, the beehives, why don't you lift them up? <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Has, any, has
1: anyone explained that to those, like, American towns that are being ransacked by grizzlies at the minute?
0: Oh, Hank the Tank, though. Yeah. Yeah. Hank the Tank did, did nothing Hank.
1: wrong. I'm nah. on Team Hank, I'm sorry yeah. to say. Yeah, we stan a large king.
0: But that's it. <laughs> We got off track. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yeah, to, to, anyway, to, yeah, hang- to get us back
1: on track, you mentioned like the the BBC News bit with the guy with the shotgun. I'm picturing like cut bits of that with that interview with um Oh fucking hell, what's the what's the German director called? Oh, oh, down, oh right? no no Herzog. The, oh, yeah, right. the the the interview with Herzog where where they stood outside his house and he just says, I think I have been shot. Let's go inside.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's it's mostly the bears.
2: Um, <laughs> I like that because it connects very well with the film Grizzly Man.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this, the guns are relevant because you need guns to fight a war and you also need money to fight a war. But here's the problem. Grand National Assembly basically starts off at war with Britain, Greece, Armenia and France. Those are pretty much all of the people who have all of the weapons. Oh. So you're kind of fucked. So yeah. where, where, do you, where do we turn? But the Bolsheviks in Russia. Oh yes. So for people who don't know, in Taksim Square, which is the main square in Istanbul, if anyone remembers like the twenty thirteen protests, that's where all of the fucking people were. There's a, a there's a monument called the Republic Monument, and it has like you know it has Mustafa Kama on it, it has Kazan Karabekir, Ismet Inönü, who we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, all of those sort of important generals, it also has the Soviet foreign minister on it. Uh-huh. Put that at the request of Mustafa Kamal because he, well, the Soviets, it's kind of unclear who approached who here, but someone approached someone, and basically the Soviets' position was, So you hate the Brits? We hate the Brits too, because they're interfering in our civil war. Why don't we do some kind of deal and also, you know, deal with the Caucasus together in a completely fair and normal way, (laughs) and totally not in a way that fucks over any particular minority group in either country?
2: Mm, Yeah, Uh, famously. Famously what happened? Yeah,
0: completely fine, as I hear. But they, they basically come to an agreement that the soviets will ship a bunch of golden weapons to the turkish nationalists and they come in through ports on the on the black sea coast because obviously that's the bit that you would come in from from russia and this is where america gets involved our favorite country america
1: <laughs> yeah oh, no Fam- famously a real country mm. yeah Always been good for Turkey, the Americans.
0: This is, this is quite a bit later in the war. They basically do this after the war's over. Basically, all of these weapons and gold, they come in through ports on the north coast, and one of them is this town called Samsun, which is quite a nice, you know, medium-sized town on the north coast of Turkey. And the Americans basically, in order to look like they were doing stuff in the war, showed up with a, showed up with a ship, bombarded this town, there was one cannon in the town that fired back about twenty-five times and they called it quits because basically all they did was destroy property and kill civilians. Oh, yeah. Americans
2: that,
1: probably wouldn't want to that do that doing yeah. that. Yeah, that sounds very American of them.
0: Yeah, they didn't they didn't fucking bother destroying anything of note. They also they destroy they basically destroyed a bunch of churches. And also, I've just looked it up. They destroyed one shop belonging to a Greek man, which was worth 30,000 liras at the time, which I can only assume is, like, a million quid now. Shit. Yeah. They just blew up this poor guy's shop. He was just hanging out. <laughs> and his shop gets blown up by the Americans. Oh. A
1: tale as old as America.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, also, they also damaged a warehouse that belonged to an American tobacco company. It's Good so they just they fucked themselves and and basically they were trying to destroy like ammo depots and stuff like that obviously but they didn't think they didn't count on this what if the turkish people put the ammo depots inland out of the range of the cannons <laughs> <laughs> so they were they were outsmarted by like basic logistics which incidentally if you want to beat america that's it you just got to do very basic logistics and just not have stuff on the coast, so they can fuck you up. That was Japan's mistake. Yeah, when the uh, when yeah was having all the stuff on the coast. If it's not on the coast, what are they going to do? They have to come on land. Yeah, and obviously Americans can't step on land unless they're invited. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's why they invented the drone strike.
0: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so so the one ally the Turkish nationalists get are the Bolsheviks, which you might think means oh, this is one of the cool na- revolutions, right? Uh basically not really because the Soviet foreign minister sort of hints at Mustafa Kemal like, Oh, you know, we're both opposed to imperialism and, uh, you know, we're, both communists. Right. And Mustafa Kemal was like, ah, oh, we're going to decide that after the war. Let's win first and figure it out. You know?
1: Yeah. Hmm. Let's
0: see. Let's see how it goes. But in any case, the Soviets weren't really taken in by him being like, you know, ah, whatever we'll see because they, they were pretty keenly aware that he wasn't a communist. But they decided that, like, a Turkey that was undergoing a liberal nationalist revolution was better than one that was carved up by capitalists directly. You know? Yeah. It seems reasonable. In some sense. Yeah. And basically, it's it humiliated and sapped the energy of the Brits who were interfering in their war. So, mm. you know, it works. Then the active fighting kind of begins. And the Ottoman forces... Well, not the Ottoman forces. The Turkish forces, the nationalist forces at the start are basically a bunch of disorganized militias, and maybe one functional army because Kazem Karabakhir has come in and not arrested Mustafa Kemal. And there are three fronts in this war. There's a front in the east against the Armenian Democratic Republic. There's a front in the southeast against France and their various like local Armenian allies. And then there's the big Greek front in the west. And then, like I mentioned earlier, there was an Italian occupation in the southwest, but they just kind of did that to piss off the Greeks, who were really <laughs> mad that the Italians had basically decided to take a bunch of land they thought was theirs. Yeah. So the, so the Italians have basically come in and fucked everyone off. <laughs> I love that. And they basically do nothing. They, they don't really do anything, except they let Turkish like, volunteers go on Italian ships for the whole war. And travel around. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um
2: uh, Italian ships still. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it turns out you can't even, like, just simply deal with these three fronts because, as is classic for Turkey, there was there was a revolt within the revolt. Ooh. Basically, there were a bunch of military officers who had some loyal troops under their command who were loyal to the Emperor, and they thought that You know, national liberation is not that important. It's not as important as obeying the caliph and his directives. And so there's this gentleman called Ahmed Anzavur, who is sort of like a low-ranking officer, kind of, who ends up leading like one of the most famous revolts against Mustafa Kemal. And it's sort of the first big challenge for them. He does two revolts. And basically, he leads this army called the Kuvayi İnzibatiye, old Ottoman Turkish for like uh, the forces of order. Oh, yeah. So you know, <laughs> the, you know, these guys are good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. These are the good guys.
2: Yeah. I, I love order and I love force. Those are two of my favorite things. So when somebody yeah. comes along offering that, I'm very very happy to see them personally. <laughs>
1: Two great tastes that take, taste great together.
0: <laughs> so this is this is this is who they're fighting against. This man with the lovely hat and the, you know. So that's who they're fighting against. Is that this is this is the guy?
2: Is that bullets strapped to his chest?
0: Yes. This is, this is this is this is a look. They're big yeah, oh yeah, man. That
1: that is a look.
0: Um, <laughs> so he he leads a guerrilla revolt against the guerrilla revolt. <laughs> and basically, in this region of Anatolia where this is going on, there are a lot of Circassian people and Abkhazians. Ahmed Ansavur was Circassian, and so he tried to convince the the local Circassians to join him. But the problem is that there's another Circassian military leader called Charkez Etem, who is also an Islamic socialist. Yeah,
2: no, that genuinely is to great tastes that taste right together. Yeah. yeah,
0: he leads an army called Kuvai, Se- sorry Kuvayi Sayare, which means like the holidaying army or the travelling army, <laughs> <if you will. laughs> and they're kind of nicknamed like the Green Army or um, you know the People's Army and stuff like that. And they're they're also mostly made up of Circassians, and their whole like mantra was: they're a force against those who cause disturbance to the greater good of Anatolia. And they they're like a sub branch of this militia that was disorganized at the time, and he basically brutally puts down this revolt. Like absolutely like crushes them every time they revolt over and over again. And eventually our man Ahmed Anzabor with the bullet strapped to his chest is captured and sentenced to death.
2: But do they just like fire the bullets that are attached to his chest finally?
0: Presumably, yeah, they <laughs> finally got their use and he is sentenced to death.
1: I, I assume those bullets are like a health bar and every time he was defeated, one of them disappeared. Yeah.
0: But I just love the idea of the travelling army showing up and just fucking beating the shit out of you.
2: <laughs> and, they, and they're just moving on <laughs> yeah. into the sunset.
0: Well, that is genuinely what they did. They came, kicked the shit out of him, and then they went behind the Greek lines and started harassing their supply lines constantly. And Anatolia's like a horrible fucking place to invade because... Like, everyone knows, like, the coasts of Turkey. Oh, they're lovely. The weather's nice. You know, it's kind of flat. You go, like, 20 miles inland and you're confronted with one of the biggest mountains you've ever seen. So <laughs> you, you can't really, like, walk into the country easily, as as the Greeks learned, because they, their supply lines just did not function. And unfortunately, Cherkés Etem ends up uh, becoming a rebel himself, because what the... What the Nationalists want to do is have an actual army, like a centralised standing army, not these rabbles that go around, you know, constantly fighting e- the enemy and each other at some point. So like what, what we need is like a standard army that doesn't shoot itself.
2: Mm, I don't know. Doesn't, yeah. It seems like a recipe for disaster to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, he certainly thought so because he was like, well, no, but my army is good, actually, you know, and, and it's Islamic and socialist. And he starts beefing with Ismet Inonu, who will be probably talked about in many, many episodes. He's this he becomes the second president of Turkey and is very much like one of the four or five very important people at this time, because he is the um, he's the chief of stuff. He's the he's the current head of the armed forces. And he's, he's in charge of reorganizing this. And he gets into a massive fight with him, basically, and basically walks off and does a bit of rebelling against him. Now, Isma Inunu kind of lies about him and says, oh, he joined the Greeks. He totally joined the Greeks. You know, that's why he, he's a coward and a traitor. He joined the Greeks. Instead, what he did was he basically just walked away and then went to live in Greece and then Jordan. He, he just sort of didn't bother anymore. Oh. Yeah. He, he, realized, he realized Islamic socialism wasn't happening.
1: Well, you can just leave.
0: Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. If that's the thing about the lesser evil. You can choose neither.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would simply just not. Yeah.
0: But yeah, Charkese Tem is also like fascinating because he's he's he's from. I think his family were like a pirate dynasty oh, in the Black yes. Sea. Oh yes.
1: Yeah, that's that's badass. <laughs> yeah.
0: The House of Dipsh- Dipshu, Dipshu. Yeah. Almost said dipshit, the House <laughs> of dipshu. Um, that's my, that's my kind
1: of pirate I, family. Quite frankly,
2: that's, that's a, I want to.
1: As a Crusader
0: Kings run, right
1: there. Yeah, I
0: want to apologise to any Circassian people listening to this. I don't speak Circassian, and will shock you to know, um, but they were perhaps like another family known for their privateer activities along the Black Sea coast. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's a descendant of like a pirate dynasty, which I think is fucking cool. He's to shit. so oh, yeah. cool,
2: man. Why, why couldn't he have been the protagonist? Not not not to des gamal ataturk, but that's very cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. He couldn't he couldn't get the numbers really, and that's really what needed to happen. And also, you know, as uh, there'll be a there'll be a comment later that will explain this, but uh, yeah, Turkish Turkish society pretty racist at the time. So I don't know that they would have let a Circassian be the leader.
2: I'm just waiting for the Hearts of Iron 4 mod where you have the Pirate Republic of Turkey.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there's another famous, there's one other famous and important revolt, which is the Koçgiri Rebellion, which was basically the breaking point between some Kurds and the Turkish nationalists. And there's a lot of myth-making on both sides about this. So, like the Turkish nationalists are like, oh well, the Kurds simply uh, supported the the you know the splitting of Anatolia because they thought it was the way they could get their own state, and the um, the Kurds are like, well, we were very specifically promised our own state by the Turkish nationalists. Turns out neither of those things may have been true, <laughs> but the safe bet is that the Turkish nationalists probably dicked them over. Because they very specifically wanted an independent Kurdish state, and the Turkish nationalists were like, "Uh, no," and they ended up putting the rebellion down so harshly that the the commanding officer of putting down the rebellion was going to be put on trial because they were like, "Holy fucking shit!" And in fact, there's a quote from a member of the Turkish parliament, which is that not even Africans would accept this level of barbarity.
1: Ooh, so there you go. Ooh. There's your
0: there's your sign of how racist. Yeah. The society was at the time. Ooh. Of course, of course, it turns out that they decided simply to not try this person who did this horrible putting down of this rebellion, because it turns out they didn't have a deep bench of like competent military officers. Oh. Were like we can kind of we can deal with this later. They ended up not dealing with it, as far as I'm aware. You mm,
2: hate to see it.
0: Yeah, and that might um, that might start as that might start something that. Uh, that becomes a big problem later, that we'll probably talk about. But having dealt with various rebellions, they can now actually fight the actual enemies they have to deal with. And so the first one they resolve is the Eastern Front with Armenia, because Armenia basically did not have a functioning standing military, given that it had just become independent in 1917, I want to say, something around then. Yeah. And they had just been given by the... Treaty of Sevre, which is the Ottoman equivalent of the Treaty of Versailles, this massive amount of land that they could they didn't have the resources to manage effectively, and so Kazim Karabekir, who will remember was the guy who was originally stationed in a lot of this land, just comes and beats them in four battles and forces them to sign a treaty that basically establishes the modern borders between Turkey, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. But it ends up not being ratified by the Armenian parliament. And it couldn't have been anyway, because the person they were negotiating with's government got overthrown by uh, Soviets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the whole thing. And so they end up signing the actual treaty, which is the Treaty of Kaz, which you know considering the initial position of the turkish nationalists was a wild success for them they only agreed to give up one town and got a whole bunch of land in return that they'd lost to the russians in like 1877 hmm. so you know a net win if from the turkish nationalists perspective there yeah yeah and then the southeast front is where a lot more of the war crimes went on the french eventually decided that it wasn't worth fighting in this in in what is basically arid miserable mountainous land and signed the treaty of Ankara with the Turkish nations so where they're like, we'll kind of like figure out the specifics later, but basically they retreat to the original Turkish Syria border and give the, give a little region on the coast of Syria well, what was it at the time Syria called Hatay, a special status within their mandate. And that was it. Nothing ever happened with Hatay ever again. Hmm. Uh, it's and then there's, obviously, the main front is the Western Front. That's where, the, that's where shit's decided, because it's a British-backed... That was the properly British-backed enemy, which was Greece. And these are all happening at the same time. So you, a lot of these wars are fought with just the unorganized militias. Yeah. And unorganized militias don't do well against standing armies when they try and fight like standing armies. And because a lot of the officers are like Ottoman officers they're used to having a standing army. So they keep trying to do this thing where they'll just stand in front of the Greek army and hope they can just beat them in a battle. Yeah. And it just kind of doesn't work. And they keep losing ground and losing ground, and it's causing panic in the parliament, right? You can watch it in that TV series, actually. There's like, they actually depict it quite well, where there are, there are some people in the parliament who are like, hey, maybe this guy will lose, and then we can, get the, uh, we can, get, we can just go back to the emperor. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be fine. I'm sure there would have been no recriminations whatsoever for that.
2: Oh yeah, yeah it's just easily transitioned back to empire. No, no fuss, no loss.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, completely fine. But they end up, the militias end up being put under the command of the guy who was called Mustafa Ismet at the time. And he wins the first battle of Inonu, which he gets named after, basically. He gets given the name as an honorific title for his victory, here, his first victory here. And then the actual organized military shows up and just lays the smack down on the Greeks who don't have any supplies, don't have any real will to continue pushing. And they just get smacked at the second battle of Inonu. And that was the first time, that was when like, re- there was a sense that the war was win- winnable because they're like, well, it turns out our standing army, unlike the dipshit brigade, can win battles against the Greeks. So it's all gone very well. Until they decide to make a tactical withdrawal, which was uh, a PR disaster, basically. Basically, oh. Isma Inonu is sacked as the sort of head of the military because he does this PR yeah. disaster. So there's a battle in So Afyon Eskush, there's a battle just basically along a long line of Turkey. And it's kind of inconclusive, but they, he decides like, why am I fighting? in this sort of difficult terrain, why don't I withdraw behind a river and make it basically impossible for them to attack me? Makes sense. And he would draw... But the problem is, withdrawing behind the river means the Greeks are like maybe a hundred kilometers from the capital. And so panic begins to set in in the parliament. Yeah. And so Mustafa Kemal is like on the edge of being kicked out as the head of the Grand National Assembly. He's like, well, how about this? How about I sack my best friend? from the job of being in charge of the army, put this guy called Febzi Cakmak in, who, um, is Turkey's only other field marshal in history, because there are only two. It's Mustafa Kemal and Febzi Cakmak. And he's like, well, why don't I put him in? And also, why don't you simply give me dictatorial powers for a year? And if I don't win the war, I'll simply lay down the dictatorial powers.
2: Oh, so kind of Turkish Cincinnatus.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so he ends up taking... Basically, direct command of the armed forces, and he his whole thing is like, I need to be in charge basically either either I succeed or we all die he He's basically trapping the Parliament with him because there were suggestions of moving the parliament, all these other things, and he's like, no, I'm going to take charge, and if I fuck up, we're all going to die because he's aware <laughs> that there are people in the grand National Assembly who want him to fail, yeah, so he's forced them to be invested in his success, which I think you know. Makes a lot of sense. And there's a battle of the Sakaria, which halts the advance. And because the Greeks lost so much equipment and men and morale, they basically couldn't do any more offenses. And so that sets up the great, what's called, I love the way Turkish people name stuff, the great offensive. Yes. (laughs) Byuktaruz, which basically slaps around the Greeks a whole bunch in these battles until they reach, and the Greeks basically constantly complain to the British throughout this, which is like, you need to put troops in Anatolia to help us. And the Brits are watching this and going, it looks like you're losing, and we're not interested in backing <laughs> losers. <laughs> and so it turns out the Brits are fuckers who, um, who will betray you instantly if they, um, if they get the sense that you're losing. And they, basically, they march westwards and just, the Greeks begin to... And in fact, this is the reason why the Greek royal family were uh, were exiled. Because they lost this war. Because members of the Greek royal family, much like Mustafa Kemal, assumed a direct command of the military.
2: Oh boy. In, in, an, in,
0: an, in an attempt to boost morale.
2: It's that's, that's always good news when when the king or some prince turns up to lead your army. That's always... Always very reassuring if you're like some kind of conscript or whatever yeah, yeah.
0: in f- in fact um i, I believe <laughs> one of the one of one of the royals who on the greek side uh went to went to command armed forces was uh, was a prince andrew um, <laughs> what? yeah um it, it was uh it was not ideal to say the least um <laughs>
1: I'm picturing like a, a a fucking note being passed around by like Greek ricey and Gibble. Oh,
0: yeah!
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, obviously our royal family are descended from the Greek monarchy as well through um, Prince Philip. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: I think I think it was literally his dad who fucked the entire thing. Oh wonderful! Yeah. And in fact, I've just checked. There was a Prince Andrew, Prince Andrew of Greece and Denmark. Oh boy.
2: Not
0: even the worst Prince Andrew, probably. Yeah, and uh, it turns out his only son was Prince Philip. Oh, what? Yeah. The Prince Philip. The Prince Philip. I'm not oh, even fucking kidding. Wow. The Prince Philip. So our,
1: our Prince Andrew was named after that guy, then?
0: Yes, that's, I think, reasonable. The guy who got owned so badly he destroyed the monarchy. Oh, Christ. beautiful. beautiful. Well, and now we? Andrew's,
1: Andrew's <laughs> doing his best to, like, Yeah. Get live up to the Uh, name
0: yeah he really is except at least like prince andrew of greece and denmark you know fucked it on merit by like being a shit military commander against a good military commander whereas prince andrew fucked something he shouldn't have done (laughs) that's just that's just you know that's that's what people are saying i'm not saying it many people are saying yeah Yeah.
2: but then, then again our prince andrew Somewhat better, because the war he was involved in was eventually won by Britain.
0: Hmm. Hmm, yeah. And also, this is a long line of Prince Andrews fighting on the side of the Brits. Not a fan. No. But, yeah, basically, a bunch of... Even, like, King Constantine shows up. And you know it's a big deal when a Greek King Constantine shows up to lead the troops and fucks it.
2: (laughs) In Anatolia
0: as well. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's a whole thing. And obviously, as the Greeks are retreating, they do a scorched earth policy, and you know, they there are a lot of atrocities going on, basically, as they're as they're withdrawing. And they they burn down a lot of cities, and obviously Turkish people are getting incredibly mad about this. And so there are probably a lot of repris- reprisals going on. In fact, the the the sort of violence during the Greek retreat was the reason why they agreed to do mutually agreed ethnic cleansing at the end of the war. Ah, uh, yeah,
2: yeah, hmm. yeah,
0: yeah. Because this is the only part. Of, this is the only war I can think of where like someone has won a Nobel Peace Prize for suggesting ethnic cleansing as a solution to the problem.
2: Oh boy.
0: Yeah, the guy who suggested, so this is the population exchange, and basically the idea, they didn't even, like, discriminate based on, like, ethnicity, they discriminated purely based on religion, which incidentally means that they probably didn't quite do what they wanted to do.
2: Also quite strange for, like, a liberal nationalist movement, who's, like, one of their founding principle is, principles principles is secularism, to do that on the well... basis of religion.
0: Well, that hadn't been decided yet. You've got to remember, when Mustafa Kamal said to like the Soviet foreign minister, you know, we'll see what happens after the war, he did seem to mean that, because yeah. there was a lot of up-in-the-air stuff. We'll just we'll there, play there, it by ear. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, whatever works after. You know, if the emperor works, then it's the emperor, and we'll have a constitutional monarchy, and it's all these other things. Although he seemed to be pretty set on getting rid of the emperor at this point, because he'd collaborated with the Brits. Yeah. As we know... Not a fan, people not a fan of that generally, but they end up entering Izmir, which is, or Smyrna. I, mean, in I Greek. would,
1: I would simply not collaborate with the Brits.
0: Yeah. That's it. That's it. If I wanted to be Sultan, I would not do that, but they end up eventually reaching uh, what was called Smyrna in Greek or Izmir in Turkish. And so I'm going to show you the propaganda, nationalist propaganda picture of this.
2: This, this is going to be something isn't it it's it's a fucking
0: spectacular <laughs> image i want you all to look at this picture and tell me what you see in the background this is a big picture it's taking ages to load <laughs> is but it tell tell tell the audience what you see in the background What Do you see any so this is the nationalist this is what the nationalists think happened
2: uh oh wow L- lots some men with moustaches and military uniform uh some horses yeah. Uh, sort of so a big palace in the background.
1: With... Yeah, something's on fire. Oh yeah, yes. lots of stuff on fire in the background. Some dude's dancing. That,
0: that, yeah, I wanted to draw your attention to the fire. Because that doesn't look like, you know, a disastrous fire, right? That just looks like, you know, battle wear. It turns out, <laughs> um, there was like an extremely damaging fire that people basically blame on each other like no one no one really knows who's to blame so this is an actual picture of the fire and i want you to compare it to the i want you to describe how it compares to the uh <laughs> to the nationalist propaganda
1: oh boy the, there's there's a slight difference there yes, <laughs> just a little yeah, bit
0: <laughs> yeah a little bit right uh, a little bit of a difference uh so obviously this was a huge fucking fire and there are lots of rumors about the cause Turkish people like to say, oh, well, you know, the Greeks deliberately set it on fire. The the Greeks like to say, well, the Turks set it on fire because they set it on fire in a Greek bit of the town.
2: Mm, I, I certainly get the, the sense from the, like, the celebratory framing of it in the nationalist propaganda, but that may not have been off the table.
0: Yeah, it yeah. wasn't necessarily off the table because the fire completely destroyed the Greek and Armenian quarters of the city. Ouch.
1: Represented in the painting by one building.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. By one building, I cannot stress this enough. And this fire is a fucking disaster. The the number of deaths is estimated at like at least ten thousand.
1: Jesus, what? At
0: least ten thousand. The upper estimate I've seen is like a hundred thousand. And there were a shit, as you might imagine, a shit ton of refugees if entire quarters of one of the most multicultural cities on Anatolia gets burned down. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a shit ton of refugees from it. And I am inclined, given the outcome of it, to suspect that the Turkish nationalists were responsible for the fire.
2: Certainly does seem plausible, yeah.
0: There are a lot of, like, testimonies from the time that seem to suggest that that might be the case. And but the, the good news is the Muslim and Jewish quarters escaped damage, which, again, makes me even more suspicious if the Muslim quarter has totally escaped damage.
2: Yeah, especially if it's supposed to be fires set to cover a Greek retreat.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that d- doesn't make any fucking sense, right? To burn the quarter of the city where the people you're ostensibly, you know, doing this national project for live.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's potentially one of the areas of the city that you would be most wanting to preserve if you were wanting to, you know, conquer Western Anatolia and bring it back into the bosom of Mother Greece.
0: And I can show you uh, a picture of the aftermath of the fire as well, to give you a sense of how completely fucked it was. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that looks like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, that's right? a very was Hiroshima. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give you a sense of how the national... This is kind of a great example of how the nationalist propaganda doesn't quite match what we know happened. Yeah. And so when we're when I'm doing this podcast, I'm taking Turkish nationalist sources, you know, with a pinch of salt. Yeah. Uh, I
2: could see because, why. Because, you know, the...
0: the pro- The propaganda portrait I showed you. Oh, it's lovely. You know, Mustafa Kamal is walking in with his generals. There's dancers. There's a little fire. Yeah. You know, everyone's delighted. There's people are wearing lovely, colourful clothes. There's a man in a fez. That's not going to stick around, trust me. Yeah, everyone
1: (laughs) everyone was too preoccupied with the parade to notice the triangle shirtwaist factory in the background, but...
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like... I can see in the background as well, there's some sort of state building having the the Greek flag taken down and the new Republican flag put up.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, to be fair, the new Republican, it wouldn't have been the new Republican flag. It's just the same as the Ottoman flag, which is a slightly like what I would describe as a chubbier crescent compared to the sort of more sleek, modern design of the current Turkish flag.
2: Everything was bigger back in the Ottoman days, the
0: hats, the flags, all that. Yeah. We need to bring back cow packs, I think. I think that's what needs to come back. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If if if this ever becomes a popular enough podcast for a live show, I'm wearing a cow pack. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll find my cow pack. I don't think I have one. I think a member of my family might have one. Surely one member of my family fought in the independence war on the Republican side. And I'm not on the Islamic socialist side. <laughs> <laughs> i assume, given the family <laughs> history um, but yeah, so i I promised we'd talk about it, so let's talk about ali kamalbe boris johnson's great grandfather so ali kamalbe is he's basically a he's a journalist Aww. he's a milk journalist he's a liber- he's a member of a party that is called the liberal Entente and is a journalist
2: oh yeah great great vibe to start with there
0: Hmm. Yeah, and he—he, he, you know, he travels a lot. He got banished from Turkey briefly for being too liberal.
1: Right. banished for writing too many articles about like they should form a government of national unity under Turkish Ken Clark.
0: I mean, to be fair, that is basically what he said during the fucking independence war. He basically did say that. He basically said, what we should do is form a unity government between the emperor and the nationalists. Oh, my God. Like, no, you can't fucking do that, though. And he's like, and what the unity government should do is everything the emperor wants, because my wife's British, and I want the Brits to win. (laughs) Get the
2: emperor to to rejoin the EU. yeah. I mean...
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: melts like... melt never changes. <laughs> really do Yeah, don't.
0: I know. It's, he he was literally like the the emperor will fire Mustafa Kemal to save <laughs> us from this war, and it, it turned out he didn't. Was um, the, was it the t- emperor
1: sending coded messages through like jewelry and stuff
0: <laughs> yeah, through, through his um? <laughs> Through his giant turban, where he kept his brain. Yeah, no, so, no we were. Past, the emperor we were was past wearing, the wearing
2: a giant red turban today to to symbolise a great and unbroken turkey. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the thing. And he he was the editor of a newspaper, and you know, and his whole thing was like oh, you know, um, he's like, oh, I really don't like the, the Young Turks, you know, the, the Committee for Union and Progress, because they're racist. But I also don't like the Kemalists because they're doing the one real type of racism, which is fighting against the Brits and their allies.
1: <laughs> Sounds standard for, for a, a melt journalist, yeah.
0: I want to tell you how much of a fucking loser this guy is before we get to the main bit. He founded an organisation... I will point out, during the Independence War, where one of the antagonists of independence... I think it was during, I'll have to double-check that. But where one of the antagonists was Britain, he founded the Anglophile Society. Oh my <laughs> fucking God. Which advocated for British protectorate status for Turkey. Oh
2: my God.
0: So he's the fucking nation- room. Yeah, the nationalist fucking hate... This is at a time when there were 200,000 people in Ahmed, which is the district of Istanbul, basically saying, Brits out. (laughs) Yeah. There were 200,000 people screaming like, we want to fucking kick the Brits out. And this guy's like, why don't we have protectorate status?
2: I'm just saying, in this case, was Anglophile actually a portmanteau as well?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) look. Um, it It was not good. This guy just to prove that, like, melts throughout history and across borders are the same person. There it is. Like, Yeah.
2: <laughs> Jesus. I'm, I'm just imagining some kind of tiaboo, you know, like, if you've got the Anglophile Society going,
0: you know. I'll show you a fucking picture of the dude. He is exactly that. Is like, he wearing is a top hat? The, oh my no. fucking it's god. Right, but like, this is a fucking picture of the guy. The, space at the, guy, the oh. space at the
1: top of the picture to photoshop a top hat in
0: yeah at boris johnson in it i <laughs> oh, gotta, gotta
2: give him a wee pipe and a cup of tea as well
0: oh absolutely but yeah <sighs> this guy is this guy is a fucking loser he's he's the big look i'm not i'm not a nationalist i'm a communist i'm against the concept of nations however <laughs> in, a, in a national liberation struggle you yeah. simply would not do this kind of thing Oh, because at, b- at best, you're going to get your ass kicked at worst, this is going to happen to you, so Ali Kamal, you know, like all Turkish people, enjoys a trip to the barber shop. I enjoy a trip to the barber shop. I enjoyed one last weekend you know uh, it was great, and he was kidnapped from the barber shop <laughs> oh, and... man, I was hoping there
2: was going to be some kind of Eastern promises situation to be honest, but that that, that kind of rules too
0: <laughs> yeah, they kidnapped him and took him across the Bosphorus, and they were going to take him to Ankara to be tried for treason. Unfortunately for him, the party was intercepted by a general called Nuraddin din Pasha, who was commanding the First Army, and he was then attacked and lynched by a paramilitary set up by this guy ah. and hanged from a tree.
1: Oh, well, F's in chat.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and look, they basically, they did a racism as well oh. on top of this, the Turkish Nationalists did. And... Yeah, so there are some rumors about whether this was like approved of by Mustafa Kamal or not. There are conflicting reports.
2: Why did they have to? Why did they have to make the extrajudicial execution so problematic?
0: Yeah, yeah. Why did they have to add racism to extrajudicial killings? I wonder why that keeps happening. Anyway, um, yeah, they they decided to add in a bit of a bit of the old racism there.
1: But I mean, you know, the the guy the guy was like a, an Anglophile, so it's what he would have wanted. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, like he he would have wanted the racism mm-hmm. at the end of it, but yeah. But even even the like communist poet Nazim Hikmet sort of wrote a poem about him being killed and um it seems kind of mournful mm. as I, I suppose as a well I guess he was a communist. He was accused of being a communist. I would certainly say he was. Um he was described as a romantic communist. We should probably talk about this guy at some point. Oh think yes, that seems cool. He is very cool. Um if uh yeah if if a certain someone is uh is listening to this I've, she, i she i think explained nazim hikmet to jeremy Corbyn oh. at some point yeah um we will probably we will probably be talking about v- basically any artist who's remotely non-racist in turkey is called a communist
2: where's the lie
0: that yeah i mean that's basically it and obviously like ali Kamal left a you know a, a rich legacy Including Boris Johnson. So who's to say whether it was good or bad? I suppose, like if if the if
2: the the lineage is secured, then damage is already done. You know, yeah, anything you do yeah. after that point, well,
0: God Yeah, and also I remember. That I mean, I would I would
1: have pretty... lynched him just for Stanley Johnson, to be honest, like.
0: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll leave that in. He's dead. Who gives a shit what you say about him? Um, can't see him. Can't get in trouble for saying that about a guy who was lynched in real life. L
2: plus ratio, but the L stands for lynched. <laughs> taking the L.
0: <laughs> yeah. There you go. And so. Basically, the last bit of like the actual nationalist stuff that goes on that we'll talk about is so you know how Ali Kamabe was like, the emperor is going to fire Mustafa Kamal. It turns out Mustafa Kamal fired the emperor in 1922. Oof. They, he, he abolished the Sultanate. And uh, basically, what they did was they gave him a suitcase full of cash and told him to fuck off. <laughs>
1: I mean, worse things could have happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, given what happened to Ali Kamal, worse things definitely could have happened. But here's the thing. They didn't abolish the caliphate. Oh. Which means that his heir became the caliph. Uh Uh-uh. And you would think by abolishing the sultanate, you would have solved the there are two governments in this country problem. Yeah. We'll find out next time that that maybe wasn't resolved by this.
2: (laughs) Oh, dear. So, so you're saying that, that abolishing a form of secular government does not, then not necessarily abolish the spiritual government. that. Uh, damn.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. And the final bit of stuff we'll talk about is that the, uh, they end up signing an armistice with the Allies uh, in a place called Moldania. And here's a fun fact. My dad grew up in Modanya. Oh, Yeah, and uh, what they would do, and I'll tell everyone this, uh, they would, every day at school, they would go to the house where the armistice was signed. Because it's like a huge nationalist like thing. You know, this is where the armistice was signed, where we kicked the shit out of the Brits and the Greeks and everyone else. And they would like go there all the time. Which is, yeah, and that's, I guess, where we'll leave it for now. In 1922, we haven't even got to the country officially existing yet. Excellent. That's a sign of a podcast that's going to last a long time. The country doesn't even exist (laughs) now. But uh, I had a good time. Oh yeah! I hope the listeners had a good time.
1: I think I, I think I learned something. Definitely primed the pump for more. I, I, I mean, I'll have I'll have forgotten it in like a, in an hour, but briefly learned something. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Next time you can just constantly ask me to remind you of who the characters <laughs> are. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Like, like an incredibly annoying partner at the cinema, but we're watching *Turkey <laughs> Sloth*. <slowly laughs> yeah, you can
1: just point at people and go, "That's the Hulk." <laughs>
0: Uh, that guy in the car park that's Captain Turkey. Isn't <laughs> that pretty much the case,
2: really? It's like, that guy, that's, that's Kemal Ataturk, that's father of the Turks.
0: Yeah, that is what that means. Um, we'll get to the surname law next time, probably, um, because Turkish people do not have surnames at this point, and that means some member of my family picked a surname that meant someone who couldn't grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I I'm I, I have beef with that great grandfather, whoever they mm. are. A lot of the family changed their surname for some reason, and I can't quite imagine why. Mm. It must have meant something different, I assume, because every member of my family can grow a beard. Anyway.
1: Maybe maybe it was ironic.
0: I think so. I think I think my family were just brain poisoned like, genetically, <laughs> and so that's why this keeps happening. <laughs> if he was alive today, he'd be doing this podcast. Yeah. Anyway, I think we should sign off. So that's been the first episode, the first of many episodes for the Peace at Home podcast. We've got to record the bonus now.
1: Oh boy. So if if you want to hear the bonus, uh, we'll direct you to our Patreon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Go on the Patreon and all of the tiers are equal. But if you want to hear about the court case where Erdogan got super mad at someone for making a meme comparing him to Gollum, Uh, Go on the Patreon. Otherwise, I'm gonna sign off with a bit of old Turkish revolutionary music, just for everyone to enjoy, so they can hear what Turkish nationalism sounds like.
1: Nice. All All right. right. Cool. Well, we'll we'll see you all next time. Bye.
0: Yeah. See you next time. Bye. Bye.